We all have a unique story about where we found ourselves when the pandemic hit. It's a once in a generation event that will be with us forever and change us in fundamental ways. Most of us were lucky enough to take shelter and quarantine in the comfort of home. For me, that was Sunnyside, Queens, and I feel very fortunate to have made it through the worst of the pandemic healthy. Um, but imagine for a moment being stuck in an unfamiliar city and not knowing when you'll be able to leave and return home. Well, that's what happened to my guest on today's show, photographer Wesley Verhoeve. For him, home was Brooklyn and Amsterdam, but when the pandemic hit, he found himself in Vancouver, British Columbia. Now, with no regular photography gigs on the horizon, like many of us, he found himself heading out for daily walks in his neighborhood. Those walks were a catalyst that led him to start a new photography project. And over the course of 123 days, Wesley walked 307 hours and made 34,194 images using a variety of cameras and film stocks. And I can really appreciate him sharing all of that data with us as I'm a big fan of, of using data um, as part of your projects. So all of that work evolved into a book called Noticing. It's a beautiful meditation on walking, photography, and mindfulness. The book was designed by photographer and designer Dan Rubin and has an essay by walker and writer extraordinaire Craig Maud. So it really all comes together with this talented team in a beautiful way. Now, I first learned about Wesley's work through his newsletter called Process, which came as a recommendation through Substack. And unbeknownst to me, he was also following my newsletter, so he had this nice connection established. And if you're a photographer out there listening, I really do recommend you jump on the newsletter bandwagon as it's a great way to share your work and your ideas and connect with an audience. I'm a big fan of the newsletters. Now, a few months ago, Wesley and I struck up a conversation through email, and I learned a lot more about his project and book, and it really struck a deep chord with me about how he brought all of these ideas together. That conversation inspired me to start up these dialogues in podcast form again, and I really just enjoy having these conversations and interviews with photographers to kind of learn more about what motivates them and how they actually put together their projects and, and share them with the world. So Wesley and I set up a Zoom call. We had a great conversation about walking, photography, newsletters, and just how all of that ties together. And the book arrived last week, and it was just such a joy to look at it after having this conversation with Wesley. It's really a wonderful little book. It doesn't try to do too much and hits the right tone for the moment. And it feels like a book that Wesley needed to create. And those are the best kind of photo books in my estimation. Those that really come from a deep need uh, within the photographer and the artist to share something with the world and really articulate a vision. I think Wesley did that in a wonderful way. So I hope you enjoy this first dialogue uh, with Wesley Verhoeve, and it'll be the first of many, hopefully. Enjoy. Wesley, I am so happy that we're finally doing this. I kind of feel like we've recorded a few episodes already we're all we're warmed up though we, we've definitely recorded an album's worth of outtakes <laughs> someday someday if we can locate the files wherever they may be we can we'll, we'll, we'll put them out as like the the back room but hopefully this is first of, of many conversations and i just really um you know it's how these things work on the internet is people float up into your kind of orbit you know through multiple channels and you know maybe it's because of my age but i have this problem where i'm like wait a minute where did i actually first start recognizing their work and seeing it or what have you you know was it through a newsletter or someone mentioning it on twitter but um you kept it kept coming back and i think it was you know your newsletter um, you know, about, about process is really interesting. And then you have the book that's coming out. So we're going to kind of cover all of these great stuff, but I think it's, um, uh, very kind of fitting that we were connecting on this and what we're going to connect with the photo books and walking those sort of things. So thank you very much for, for first doing this with me. <laughs> Thanks for having me very much. So, um, I just want to get a little bit in because you got an interesting background. Um, I think I'm surprised we haven't kind of maybe crossed paths just over all the stuff that you've done. Um, so you're a curator of an ongoing uh, project with ICP called Projected. Um, you have done a wonderful interview series 
that's really close to my heart uh, with um, photographers called the observers about like their, you know, what photo books influence them. Uh, and I think it's just, that's a great, again, something did with the podcast. And I really like, you know, I did with the, the illustrations and getting these great people. Um, and then you're very kind of accomplished um, commercial photographers who are working, you know, with a lot of different types of commercials. So just how did you, how did all this stuff come about? You mentioned you used to work in the music industry. How, where did this foundation of photography curating interesting and interested in books and just pursuing the whole mix where, where did that come about where did that kind of like percolate up from well if we go all the way back growing up my dad's a photographer so i grew up playing with my legos in the red light of the dark room underneath his fixer table <laughs> basically um and i'm sure i'm not the only one uh in in kind of like the age range that I'm in where I'm, I'm, I'm probably the, the last age range where the dad was doing home development, except for now, of course, it's kind of coming back a lot. But yeah, so it comes originally all from that source. Um, and then as you know, as any good teenager would, I rebelled against the path that was laid in front of me. Uh, and instead of photography types of things, I ended up going the way of music uh, and worked in music for about 10 years in various different roles. And that was in New York City. And um, then I got a little bit burned out as that industry was changing a lot and um, streaming started coming in and the, the economics of it all changed. And um, I took a little bit of time off to travel around the US and brought a camera along. And at the same time, as I was kind of exploring myself and the, and the country, I also noticed this, uh, you know, let's say the second wave of my friends moving out of New York, right? Because it goes in waves. And and they all were moving to the Nashvilles and the, the Detroits and the, you know, New Orleans, those kinds of places that I hadn't really been to before. And so as I was kind of traveling, I was like, you know, I should this would be fun to look into. I'll go meet up with some creative people in these kinds of you know cities, like these kind of secondary cities, mm -hmm. no disrespect intended, just compared to like LA, New York. Uh, and, and at the time, you know, we're talking 2013, there wasn't really that much going on in terms of media covering creative communities in other places. It was very much LA, New York centric, little bit of maybe like um, Nashville for certain kinds of music, but that was about it. And so as I was, tra was traveling, you know, my, my intention was while I do my music work on the computer at a lap, you know, on my laptop at a coffee shop, like the admin type of stuff, I will also meet some people and then take their picture and that'll be fun for me to investigate why are people moving out of New York and to these places, right? So I went to, to the first two cities I went to was Seattle and Portland, um, met maybe five or six people, took their portrait, talked to them, did a little mini interview about it. And then my third city was Charleston, South Carolina, and there it, it kind of all clicked. And in the week that I was there, I ended up photographing and interviewing close to 50 people, which means it basically took over my entire, uh, every minute of my life. And I was like, oh, this, this is great. This is really making me feel alive. I love meeting different interesting people and taking environmental portraits of them, even though I didn't really, even really know that term at the time. Uh, and I started leaning into that and I did that for a year. I went to 12 different cities. It became a project. That project is, has its own website. It's called One of Many and the project website is just oneofmany.co. And that kind of set it all in motion because my timing was lucky. That was right when all the advertising agencies were like, maybe we shouldn't do everything with models. Maybe we should have some real people, quote unquote, in our ads or whatever. And so I was taking all these perfectly appropriate for their marketing campaigns, environmental portraits. So people start reaching out to me from companies and agencies and, you know, start maybe about a year after that project started, I started shooting for clients in that same basic exact way. And then maybe another year, year and a half, I saw like kind of like, okay, what, what's my income from photography? Oh, this is, it's actually slightly higher than my music income. I guess, I guess I'm now a professional photographer <laughs> and it just kind of 
evolved from there. Yeah, I, lo- I mean, I love that. It's, just, it, it's, it's born out of um, the project, and it really, it's kind of a lesson of, of you know, pursuing that that passion project. It's, we might call it a side hustle these days, right? Um, yeah. Uh, the the prototype of the side hustle, and then, you know. Although um, I think the difference is the side hustle has an intention of making money, yeah. and my intention was not, I, w- I didn't even know that was possible. My yeah, intention pat- was just curiosity and following, following my nose around, basically. Yeah, pa- I mean, passion projects, right? But I mean, I think just the v- total value of, of, you know, following that intuition and putting it out there and seeing, um, you know, what comes about from it. And, and uh, you know, I'm a big believer you put out positive stuff out into the world and, and it's going to, you know, it'll find an audience and, and, and come back to you. So I think it's a really good um, kind of example of, of that. And I, I you know, it, it feels like, you know that story is a lot, how a lot of people kind of come into the mm. photography from another place is interesting it's something like i've kind of of you know picked up from talking to like of course there's you know you have that mixed background but there's other you know people that study art get their bfa they might get their you know mfa in, in photography and they're kind of set the path but then there's the other folks that are you know working in other areas, have the camera and kind of get move along and, and move into it. So it's, it's really just an interesting yeah. pathway, um, you know, into photography. So what about, um, uh, with the international center of photography, how did you kind of get involved with them? Actually it was kind of born out of that same project because a few years later, um, someone, uh, over there r- reached out to me and wanted to see if I could have a meeting with the executive director, um, and which is basically what the, the CEO of a, of a museum like that is called. And he, you know, they were very interested in reaching, uh, number one, a younger audience, because a lot of museums in New York City, especially in the arts world, just kind of traditionally attract an older audience and especially kind of an old, older, wealthier audience, which is wonderful for your uh, funding department. But it's also nice if you have some youth in the room. And so they wanted to attract a younger audience as well as a more geographically diverse audience. And because I had such a giant Rolodex of interesting creative people that I had photographed for this project, and from that even more through those people, they wanted to know if I had any ideas um, on how to accomplish that. And so I I shared the idea with them that I had, and they really liked it. And, and then they asked if I wanted to uh come on board to curate that uh project which is it's a little hard to say because it's like the project is called projected so there's, there's a lot of project in there but the reason that it's called projected is because it's kind of a twofold reason number one uh because it focused on um new voices in what icp consult calls concerned photography which is kind of their thing you know like so photography with a side societal angle to it uh so uh, there are new voices that that we're deeming as projected to be great voices in the future, but also literally physically the images are projected into the streets of New York City um, and rather than like uh, printed and put on the wall. It's like a, a more interactive kind of environment. That project is currently on hold because the museum moved to a new location and we're trying to still figure that out, but it was... I did uh, 98 exhibits for them over the course of three years. So that's about 500 photographers because some of them were group shows. Most of them were individual shows. But yeah, so that was a really, really fun project. And I really hope uh, we can get back to that. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. I mean, that's I'm surprised. That I, I may have seen one of those. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of like in New York City, you run around, and you kind of see some of these stuff in the vibrant photography community in New York City. And that was something to do. But I think that um again like kind of mixing of that the curation and um how the, all of that kind of comes together it's like it's it's super interesting um so kind of like i i think we really should talk about the observers here before we get to the main event right we're this is we're all leading, we're building up to it we're building up to <laughs> it into it and i think you have the, you have such a nice kind of trajectory towards where we're going um but I think people listening, you know, from previous the LPV show, obviously, was very photo book centric. So I think people would love this. And I hope they're, I'm going to do my best to kind of get it out. But the observers. So it's interviews with the visionary, visionary 
visionaries from the world of photography about their favorite photo book particularly this is maybe odd but like i'm interested in the the drawings um because i think it is it has a really nice branding kind of presence when it pops mm. up and you see it and see the book so what's the gist of this this project that's a project that i started with my good friend paul jun um and uh, our illustrator friend jeffrey phillips uh, who's incredible and and you know it does in my opinion add so much that the whole project is illustrated and, and that was kind of like our fun there was like it was like partially for fun and partially for um design reasons we wanted to stand out we didn't want to have you know a website where it just another headshot of a photographer because then you know we're all three of us are very uh demagogue not demagogic dogmatic <laughs> very different uh dogmatic about like how things are supposed to look and so we felt like oh it's gonna be messy they're not all gonna have the same ratio and all that kind of stuff why don't we do something different why don't we do almost like a new yorker take on something where we have a little illustration of the person uh it's kind of like chic it's different it's also really fun for the person who is being illustrated because you know you've seen photos of yourself but it's pretty cool to have a cool little cartoon of yourself so we just figured it would give the whole project uh, a cohesive feel and uh, a little bit of a playful feel too yeah. and yeah so the project is, is basically like we talked to uh, who, what we call visionaries in the world of photography from, from the Kathy Ryans to the Bruce Davidsons to the Elliot Erwitz. Um, and we talked to them specifically about what their favorite photo books are and, and where that came from is because I'm a huge photo book fan. Paul is a huge photo book fan. And we felt what was missing out there was a place that recommended photo books because, you know, there's the occasional end of year, like best photo books of 2021. And yeah. that's not really that. First of all, usually those lists are not very good. And second of all, it's once a year. And we wanted to know like, well, there are so many photo books, but which ones are the ones that we really should pick up and take a look at? And well, then who better to ask than the people whose work we admire, the people whose work inspires us. So essentially what we're asking is like, hey, Mr. Elliot Irwin, you inspire us. Who inspired you? And then share a couple of books with us and tell us why. So at this point, we've done two seasons. Uh, and it was, um, I think we did 60 interviews so far and over 300 books recommended. And we're, right now we're working on our third season. And it's actually going to be a full redesign of the website, but it's it's still all the illustrations. It's just that we ended up hitting a point where we have so many books and so many interviews that we needed to add more infrastructure to the way that we presented that information because it's a little bit busy and full now because there's so much of it. So we're really excited about this new version of the project coming when we when we launch our third season. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. I And I just really, really yeah, I can relate to... Um... Because we would bring the guests would bring they'd come over to the you know the studio in Bushwick and they'd bring a someone would bring a bag full of books and be like four or five books and we'd pet, spend the first hour and a half paging through the books and like oh we actually have to record a podcast so but um <laughs> I was we were always and it was you know I didn't it took me a while to kind of I was sense of this like you know collective curating effort you know whereas they would bring the books and you would be I would be totally surprised by some of these photographers the things that they the books that they would bring that were really kind of influential to them and the thing with with photo books I mean this is selfish because I got to see them in person and we took but we took nice pictures of them they're up on the website and I I still got to I'm design oriented as well too but I'm also lazy so I gotta I gotta fill out my backlog but like um you know, just seeing kind of like the eclectic mix of books that they bring in and you never really know what, you know, might inspire an Elliot Irwin. And because um, the photo book world is is a lot of it is hidden because mm -hmm. it's not accessible. You can't see it online. The full books aren't online. So unless you have those mechanisms for going in and seeing the book or finding these kind of unique recommendations, I think people like you mentioned are going to gravitate towards these you know, basic list. And I don't mind the photo, the photo I list is fine. I think they do a nice job of like asking enough people and see a lot of similarities, but I'd like this, um, you know, and that, but that's always just for the year, right? Like it doesn't. So this idea of getting into people's photo book archives, I think is brilliant. So I think this is something you guys should definitely keep doing, man. Like, yeah, we're, we no love it. it. It's a lot of work, but we're really excited about this third season. Amazing.
All right. So everything's going well for you, right? Like you got the career, you're curating thing. I mean, you're just, you're flying high, right? You know, I'm sure there's, there's ups and downs in every career and, and we're all yeah, doing this well. This has been not the greatest year, let's just say <laughs> right. that, but that goes for everybody else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're all, you know, 2016 happens. We're not going to get into 2016, but 2016, there's kind of a, a shift. Everyone, you know, understand the shift to some degree. Um, but people, you know, things are still, still going along with that shift. We're feeling good end of the decades coming um and then it happens right so mm-hmm. i you know i kind of got picked up picked up on the pandemic i would say late 2019 um, started hearing stuff I, one of my, my 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 the most vivid kind of thing where it hit me was um actually seeing stuff from wuhan on tiktok and i was like oh boy mm-hmm um like they're in this lockdown i'm like this isn't good i'm in, i'm in new york city <laughs> um i'm like if you know generally when pandemics hit it's the big crowded cities that take the brunt of it so mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm there you know when they <laughs> you come into early 2020 and all of a sudden it's like this is real you know and then i think everyone remembers march you know it hits so we're give me your that's 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 Let's get your context. Where are you end of 2019? So 2019 is ending up moving into 2020. Where, what's the context of, of, of your life in this kind of moment? Well, at that point, I'd been doing some nomadic living for about two years, going to a different city uh, around the world for three months at a time. So Tokyo, Buenos Aires, Mexico City, uh, Berlin, Amsterdam. And I actually don't remember what the which city i was in late 2019 but early 2020 it was vancouver and i i had to go to new york for a week because my old band uh played a a kind of a reunion show uh in new york city and literally the week after that the pandemic kind of officially arrived in the united states um but i was already back in vancouver um canada and and then the borders closed. So all of a sudden, not only was I in Vancouver, I was in a really quiet suburb of Vancouver. And if you kind of know what my photography is like, typically that's not that's not where I am usually. I'm usually um, running around in busy city centers, stopping people that I'm that I notice and that are interesting, and having a conversation with them, taking their portrait. Um, and that's kind of like that kind of thing is what I do every day. And that's also how I cast people for my commercial campaigns. Um, and so I was doing that in all these cities around the world. And all of a sudden, it stopped, you know, like, not only could I not go anywhere, uh, there was also no one on the street, because Canada was being pretty good about it. And they locked down and people were just staying home. Plus, I was in a suburb, there's not really that many people on the street to begin with. And so there I was, you know, all my work was canceled. And uh, I couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> so I, I have to read this from the story behind um, Notice. And I think it just, it's going to segue. And then I think people will, at this moment, when I read this, will kind of understand um, the real connect or, you know, the, the deeper connection I think we're going to have about this. So, uh, quote. So everything that was my normal suddenly changed to its opposite. Instead of traveling the globe, I was contained in one neighborhood. Instead of meeting and photographing random people all day long, I'd walk for hours without seeing more than a handful of humans. Instead of my busy client work schedule, my inbox was quiet and days blended together. So I started walking. Every day, a few hours, camera in hand. It became my meditative practice and helped me ground myself in a world where everything suddenly seemed uncertain. I walked around my small neighborhood for 123 consecutive days. I practiced slowing down and paying attention so I could see better. Suddenly my world, which had initially felt so small, was revealed to be a massive universe with tiny stories everywhere. I mean, I have to tell you, um, I might steal that for as a manifesto. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it truly is. is, I think it's it's such a... um, you know, beautiful writing for sure. And just kind of very succinctly um, talking about this, um, you know, the revelation of walking, I really want to say, but you know, just even what you were saying before that you were a walker, like kind of like the street photographer yes. walker, right? So it's not like, you know, you're not familiar with, you know, the benefits and the joys of being out in city centers and seeing and looking it was but it's this this shift in perception, this shift in in in, in literally noticing what you're noticing what you're looking at. So I just want to 
um first of all talk about the kind of that that perceptual shift where you go from the human connection to where you really have to look in this kind of contained environment contained neighborhood um and through that process of walking how that kind of um revealed this this new universe to you yeah it was it was a pretty big shift because while i you know you could certainly call me a walker beforehand i was really more of a runner you know because i was it was busy cities and i was running around and and that's very different from what i was doing in this suburb of vancouver where i was it was only a neighbor you know it was this pretty small neighborhood if i was gonna run it would be i'd be on the i'd be on the other side within not that long uh and so i plus there was you know i thought my my misconception was that it was boring and that there was nothing there you know and so because i was used to hunting with my eyes for uh moving things you know like a, a life you know and um it really changed because I started going much slower because I had to look better. And I'm, um, this is a little bit weird to explain, but I'm kind of a, when I'm looking around, when I'm scanning, I kind of compare it. I don't know if you ever saw Predator, the movie Predator, when they show like how the Predator sees and it's just kind of colors and shapes. And he's, he's looking for prey, right? So he's looking for red colors based on temperature. When I'm looking around, I'm most of the time I'm not really necessarily seeing what is there. I'm just looking. I'm just looking at shapes and shadow and light, and so doing that in a fast way means you focus on the moving objects, right? Whether it's mostly people, really, and sometimes cars, or whatever. And and having now switched it up to being a very slow, intentional walker in this neighborhood all of a sudden I was able to see better and, and see more, you know, I started, I mean, the book is called notice. The book that came out of this project is called notice because I literally practiced and taught myself how to notice more things. And yeah, I mean, the walking was the whole crux of it all. And I, of course you're very familiar with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's so interesting because you know, you, I love when people have uh, whatever the revelation is, whenever they, they come through them into the walking and it's, you know, even to me, it was super slow, um, process, you know, I, that, that, you know, I started as a street photographer too. So candid and looking at the same things. And I do love, um, you know, motion and, and trying to understand the way people move and, 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 and those sort of things. But yeah, you're like, until you kind of divert your eyes away from that or decide to like look at the other everything else um i don't i think it's hard to see but it, it also it, it to me you know it built up over years and years of walking for for me and like whereas i think i pattern recognition that i can you know you you look at stuff you know and you know you have something in your archive or you've seen this before but today the light's right and like you start to build this all this repertoire and it seems that you did it really fast you know just because you're a great photographer and you've had you built you know the ability to see to see people so you understand the mechanisms of how that works but um it almost just seems like everything opened up to you and it's like i have to do this and so i love the obsessiveness of this too of like yeah. of 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 becoming an obsessive walker becoming like just driven to being out there and do it obviously because of the situation what else are you gonna do right like um but also it there's some there, there on a project like this you can tell there's a deep um intrinsic motivation of where you're like i'm this is i have to scratch this itch i have to take this to to its um limit to this kind of creative limit so at what point in that process where you're like i'm not stopping until i figure this out like well, this. to be honest, you know, I, I, the the reason, the really true reason that I was doing all this walking um, was to, you know, to ground myself because I'm I'm a very routine based person. Having a having routines gives me stability in my head and calm, and so I I had to obviously come up with a new routine, and th this was it. You know, this was my I would go around the same time every day, and uh, I really believe in. Um, taking, taking, taking a few simple decisions up front so that I don't have to consider things anymore later on. So having decided at the very beginning of this, no matter what happens, because I am a routine-based person, no matter what happens, every day I will go on this photo walk. Whether I'm motivated, whether it's raining, whether the light is nice, you know, I am 
removing all excuses because I don't have to every day decide that I'm going to go for a walk. I decide right now that while I'm in Vancouver, until I can leave, I am going on a daily photo walk because I need something to hold on to. So it was a meditative uh, practice, really. And it wasn't there wasn't any kind of idea of like, and this will turn into a project and this will be a book or whatever. That was not that was not even anywhere near my my line of thinking is really something to stabilize myself. That I mean, that's amazing that that I mean, that I think that uh, I'm a big rituals or I can we could do a whole other episode, I guarantee you, on rituals and repetition and routines and like how powerful they are um, for your creativity. Like, really, I mean, people, if you're listening to this, please try to understand the power of rituals and routines like it's 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 it really is kind of a thing for me. It was always, you know, I would work my day job. Monday through Friday, and I would know Saturday morning, Sunday morning, I'm out the door. And I'm out the door when I wake up at the camera. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, I got to a point where I felt like it's a, a shift in the dimensions. Like, I'm literally in, in a different kind of plane of reality here um, because of, of, of the um, years of meditation and, and preparation, too. And so we're the way I like to frame it and the way you're kind of doing it is like, it's the daily event, you know, the box, right? You know, the container is going to be from this time to this time. And you right. know, between that space that you really are, have this free freedom um, to invent, to create, to be in that kind of playful mindset. So how did that, um, when did you start to notice the things maybe moving from, from the predator, from, from, you know, um, kind of seen that to 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 really um um grasping on the particular and the very kind of like the the, the small was there is there a point where you kind of noticed that shift or was it just it, it kind of grew out of um you know the day-to-day -day part of it it definitely evolved but i think it, i hit it pretty fast like within let's say like three four weeks or so um i feel i kind of hit a certain stride with First of all, I mean, even the simple bandwidth of where I was looking, if you're looking for people, you're only looking pretty much straight ahead, right? You're not looking down and you're not looking up. And so that changed, especially in a suburb. First of all, there's not much up to look at uh, in a suburb. There's all these regular houses. And then, of course, beautiful trees, especially in Vancouver. And so, you know, I started looking for shapes and light and shadow like I always do, except there were just really not any people around. And um, I, my way of seeing evolved by just by the sheer things that were around me. And so I slowly started noticing also because I was constantly in the same neighborhood, I slowly started noticing changes in the neighborhood as the time went on, right? And so... um. I never, or not in a long time, let's say, from all that traveling, it's not, in, in the period of all that traveling, you don't necessarily feel that physically connected to the place because you're kind of always moving. And now being in one place, and you know, I'm obviously not reinventing the wheel here. This is exactly what it was like in normal life for regular people, especially before travel became economically possible. But when you're in the same place all the time and you're actually paying attention, um, you feel more connected to the ground, to the place. And I would see, you know, it started in the spring. I got there and this was March, right? So I saw certain kinds of flowers slowly come up from the ground and then bloom and then die. And then there was another type of flower that came up right after that. And even that kind of stuff or the certain birds that would be around, you know, in the when it was colder, there were more crows around. When it was not so cold, there were more like other like more like songbird type of birds around. So that kind of connection with the with the ground, with the nature, became like a kind of a, a guiding force in my ability to notice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, just as you're talking about that, it's kind of like you know, it's a portrait of a neighborhood. And I've done a lot of these kind of like neighborhood, you know, um, walking type of projects and, and looking. Um, 
you know, because you start to understand the infrastructure. Okay, how do the sidewalks work? How, you know, like very small things like this, like, so, you know, the trees, you know, sometimes the tree roots pop up this, you know, the sidewalk and how does this impact the way people walk? And then like, um, you know, what does it play in terms of like, you know, the uh, the greenery, right? Like all of these kind of like things, you know, I, I've moved into more of that. Maybe it's kind of like analytical of, of the infrastructure, but always like the um, flora and the fauna, the trees, flowers how people design their front yards right you know what i mean like how they design what they put up in their windows like you kind of get this um you know what everything is in public and externalized and how kind of like that tells you something about the neighborhood and the people and those things that you start to think about those things as well too of like wondering like the people that live here and like how this you know this the people that live here manifest you know, what you are able to notice and what you're able to see. Yeah. And also specifically in, in this neighborhood, the way it's, um, it was planned, um, urban planned is that you have a street with the fronts of houses and then the next quote unquote street over is not a street. It's an alley between those houses and the backyards of the next street street house you know if that makes sense so it's like it's not like street 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 it's street alley street alley street alley and there is a big dichotomy between the two because the streets were very beautifully manicured front yards and gorgeous nature and really lovely facades and then the alleys were where they put some of their you know that's where they put the trash cans because that's where the trash people come and pick up the trash so you would see um, backyards and fences and basketball rims because it's a suburb and there were a lot of kids, of course, that lived there. And you would see all like a diff, very different view. Like that's where the electricity poles would be. And so you, you could really have like a, it's like a duet between the beautiful manicured street and the kind of, it wasn't grungy by any means, but it was certainly not as beautifully and manicured as the street in the alleys. Yeah, that, that that yeah, I think that's really nicely put. Um, of because in New York City you don't really have alleys, so you miss out on that. But part of it, but um, as I am kind of turning into a map geek here too as well, I'm just very curious what type of um you know tracking in terms of the step counts, like were you mapping? Did you you know have the um, walks recorded using maps. What was the, the this data part of it? Because um, you definitely, you know, from our conversations, you were collecting some type of data in terms of like, you know, what you were doing. So how did that? Um, and I yeah, suppose that's I, part um, of the routine and the ritual, right? Totally. I I everything was tracked on my on my phone. So I just used the regular phone step counter, and I also did a bunch of uh, the walks on um, Strava which is what I use for my running. Um, and so those are fun. Um, so I had the steps, I had the amount of hours. Obviously I knew the amount of days just from the regular calendar, but yeah, we tracked a lot of information. Oh, I tracked a lot of information. And then we, when I say we, I mean Dan Rubin, the designer of the book and I, we turned that into kind of a cool little part in the back of the book where we have Jeffrey Phillips, the aforementioned illustrator from Observers. He illustrated a map of the neighborhood and, and you see like where, you know, basically the whole confines and, and where all the data basically fits in, which is pretty fun. Oh, that's amazing. I, I can't wait to see that part of it. I mean, I'm just totally sort of immersed. I mean, I track all my everything. For me, a walk is it doesn't exist. I mean, it does exist unless it's on Strava. And I it, like I, I don't want to reveal too much because I'm working on my own project here. But I definitely it's becoming, um, you know, drawing and painting and kind of mapping and all these sort of things like it has taken me in on a kind of like a new creative journey on it. So I, again, I don't want to like, I could talk forever on this stuff, but there's another, and I know this part of it, people are going, people will love because I think it's amazing. This is all shot on film. Now we know, we know, we know everyone. It's knows, not all right? shot on film, not it's, all, but mo it, the most, a lot of it is shot right. on film. Yeah. So, you know, obviously a lot of, you know, the, the film, people love film that uh, to me it doesn't matter the image is an image but there is an interesting part it's like so you weren't developing the film you weren't seeing the film images once you started getting to that right like you didn't no i didn't it. see it until it was all over um that was that was not a, a choice i would have preferred seeing it but i'm I, in hindsight i'm glad i didn't see it but the reason that i didn't see any of it is because i couldn't really find a lab in vancouver that i felt comfortable with 
um, because I'm very particular and I take very detailed notes for every role and like I have a certain way of developing that I prefer. And so I ended up just saving it all and, and ended up sending like FedExing a box of seven pounds of film to my lab, Bleecker Digital in New York City, which was expensive and kind of stupid, but also, or not stupid, scary, because I was like, man, if this gets lost, <laughs> all of this is nothing. <laughs> but um, it didn't, and it made it, and they did an amazing job of Red Bleecker to develop it. And so, uh, yeah, I didn't get to see, so I did get to see, I would I would have a, a, my film camera with me every day and also a small digital camera with me every day. So I would see a couple of the digital shots uh, and then I never would see the film. And I shoot very similarly on the digital camera versus the film camera. So you can't really even, you can't really tell which is which in the book. Um, but yeah, I didn't really get to see almost anything until it was all over. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I mean, I think that's... Uh you know, the, the digital part of it. I mean, to me, it's, it's the editing that really is kind of um, the revelation in terms of like not being able to see anything, but I guess I just have to clarify, is this 120 film? Was it medium format or is it 35? It's both. I oh. shot it on 35. I shot it on so many different stocks too. I shot 35, 120, and I even shot some peel apart. What um, is peel so, apart? Oh, peel apart Polaroid film. The old school. Oh, right. Peel apart. <laughs> Right, right. I'm mean, Instax. I would do the. That's cool. That's. I mean, I like that eclectic uh, kind of like checking all different stuff. But so you see it, and then um, so we really have to move into this editing process. So at what part? At what part do you realize this? I'm going to make this book. This has to be a book now. Like where that triggers, and then how does the editing start? Where do you? Or how do you get into the editing? Well, a few. Let's say like six or seven weeks into the walking, I was like, I, I felt like oh, I'm kind of in a groove. I'm finding my like flow state, right? So maybe there's some good stuff in here. And maybe, you know, obviously, like I said before, I all my jobs were canceled and I wasn't making any money. So it's like, maybe some of these could be good enough for like uh, some prints. Maybe I can sell some prints. That'd be nice. And then kept walking, kept walking. Another month and a half later, you know, I'm, I hit like three month mark and I'm like, well, maybe I, I got, maybe I have enough for a, a zine, make a nice fancy art zine. And then, you know, I didn't know how long this was going to last either, because obviously, as you remember, we didn't we didn't know how long this pandemic was going to last. And we certainly didn't think it was going to last this long. But I kept booking another month at a time in Vancouver as as things developed. Um, And then by the end of it, well, let's say after like five months and I was there for six in total after about five months, I was like, we'll be pretty. I've shot a lot. You know, the total number of images shot for this book is almost is over 34,000. And so I was like, well, maybe I have enough for a book. And and one thing I always think of when it comes to that kind of calculation is I think Richard Avedon is one of my favorites. Um, and he uh, he has a book and an exhibit called The Great American West, or I always mess up this title. I actually have it laying around here. Um, it's called In the American West. And it's a gorgeous book, and it was all shot on uh, large format, 8 by 10 And the book has 125 images in, in it. And I read a whole backstory about the book and learned that uh, Richard Avedon and his team shot 17,000 images for it, right? So for the greatest possibly photographer of all time, to get to 125 images that he was happy with, he had to shoot 17,000 images. Well, I'm not the greatest photographer of all time, that's for sure. And so that means I have to put the numbers on the board, right? I have to shoot tons and not expect to like get enough good stuff unless I've shot tons. So having 34,000, I was like, well, maybe I have like 80 good ones or pretty good ones. And so that's when, you know, that's when we get to the editing process that you asked about. So I was able to get it down from 34 to maybe 3,000 pretty fast. And then it took me a couple of weeks to get down to 1,500, 500. And then once I hit like 350, I just couldn't see the forest for the trees anymore because I looked at so many photos of so many times. And it's very difficult as a photographer yourself to um, think, is this a good photo or do I just remember the moment that I took it, which was a good moment, right? And there's a difference between that. And so I knew I needed to, I needed help. And I ended up setting up Zooms, just like the one that we're having right now, uh, with about 20 
friends of mine who are mostly photographers, some of them agents, some of them not not creatives at all, uh, just because I wanted to get regular people perspective on, on things too. And I with each of those people, I did about an hour Zoom and I would go, I would do a screen share with my Adobe Bridge and I would go through the images that were left. So at the beginning of that, that was 300 and it slowly got lower than that. And so the cool thing about Zoom, which I never would have known about pre-pandemic is that you can see each other's face, right? And so previously I would have been, if I would have asked someone to look through my images, I would have been like, hey, can I send you this Dropbox folder? And can you let me know? But that's a big ask to have like, can you add, can you please look at 300 photos and tell me what you think? It's big, that's a lot, that's a lot to ask. But if you're doing a zoom and I'm controlling how fast to go through the images and I can see your face, that is actually pretty awesome because I was able to see what, you know, what they were feeling, what they, what they how they would respond to certain images, what piqued their curiosity. Because a lot of this book, the material is, it's either about Peaking curiosity that makes you want to look a little bit longer because it's not quite clear what's going on or a sort of a, a humorous wink. So I was able to read that on their faces and together with that entire group, one person at a time, I was able to cut it down to about 100. And I knew I needed to land at about somewhere between 80 and 90 max. And so the last, the last kind of filter on it was from a different angle altogether because what Dan, the designer, and I realized was that this book was going to be completely um, showcasing through paired images. So the the left hand and the right hand page belong together uh, because just to kind of step away from the conversation of the editing for a second, the, there were two layers of noticing to this project. The first one is the obvious one. I'm walking around and I'm noticing things, interesting things, beautiful things, funny things. The second layer was one, once I was done and I saw all of the prints and I put them on the ground, I started noticing these images were echoing each other or some images were echoing each other. And, and they could be taken six weeks apart in a totally different part of the neighborhood, but there would be something, sometimes it would be obvious, sometimes not so obvious that would echo one to another. So like one example is there's a picture of a garden hose that's in like a perfect S on a lawn, right? That's one photo that I was that was on my floor somewhere on the left-hand side and then somewhere on the right-hand side of this giant floor with hundreds of images. I was like, wait a minute, that's like the same shape. And it was it was uh, the shadow of a car on, a, on another lawn. And it was, it, it was the exact same shape. And even the composition of the image was very similar. So when you put those together, it really amplified the strength of each image really. And so once we got to that point, we realized that of the hundred-ish images that we had left, some just had to go because they weren't pairable, if you if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So then we got to that point, and then we started pairing, and then we started sequencing, and then we had a book. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, sure, there were a lot of conversations involved, well, too. But yeah, turn it once you get to that point, you have to turn it over to to the designer because the design starts to like you know um, impact the way you know the photos are kind of like going to be perceived, but I love the, the, um, the pairings cause it really just speaks to how photographs, you know, talk to each other. And like, if you listen to the photographs, you put them on the floor or I like to put them at the wall on the wall and really get the, a big perspective and seeing how, how the photographs speak to each other. And like you, sometimes you just have to get out of the way, you know, <laughs> and removing yourself, uh, you know, is, is sometimes the toughest part, but, but the photographs will always teach you something. The photographs will teach you a lesson. They'll speak to you um, and they'll guide you, you know? So I, I truly believe that. So I think that's a very powerful kind of like um, thing for people to take away in terms of just, understanding their process and you you know obviously turn it over to a brilliant designer and like two people the two two type of people in the creative world designers or book designers or magazine designers and then um i mean my other favorite are copy editors you know really the oh, people yeah, that's that big too. right like those two people really kind of masterfully craft um you know the final product the project um into you know what i think really makes it um you know, sing for a sing for artists because artists, like, there's only so much you can do. I, I, I do tend to like the, um, the auteur kind of thing. I do like some projects where it's just ruthlessly edited and it's the vision of the photographer and kind of like keep people out. But this one, I really like how, I don't want to say you market tested it because that's kind of gross, but like really audience tested it, you know what I mean? And, and, and bringing in all, all those type of people to get that kind of, um, 
real reaction. I never really thought about that on Zoom. So I think that's a good thing a lot of people can take away. But um, there is another connection here to walking because there's an essay in the book. So, and it's something as I'll let you maybe talk to you about your relationship with him, but he's somebody I'll talk about a lot and walking and, and photo books and books is his jam. So how did this relationship and just kind of like introduce, um, you know, how, you know, Craig and how you brought in, um, Craig Maud into the project. Well, Craig and I have known each other for quite a few years from kind of just the design tech kind of San Francisco, New York, uh, world. And we have a million friends in common through that. And so I had always kept up with his work and I had, um, met him in Japan as well. We went on a walk. He, he, as, as you'll find out from the rest of this conversation, he's, he's kind of like the Uber walker of them all. (laughs) And, um, and so he lives in Japan where he walks, uh, these crazy multi-week long historical routes that are famous in, in the Japanese culture of walking. And, um, we are just kind of like friends. So we were just talking and, uh, he was working on a book, uh, which he has since released called Kisa by Kisa. And that is about one of his big walks in Japan and, and, uh, specifically documenting, uh, uh, I guess a form of hospitality called Kisa, which is kind of like a little restaurant cafe that where they specialize amongst other things in this pizza toast thing that, is a really kind of a amusing dish, but it looks delicious. Uh, and so he he asked me if I could help him with his book, Kisa by Kisa, uh, in, ter- in terms of the photo editing. So, you know, helping, you know, f- with feedback on the sequencing, on which images to pick, all that. Basically what I just described, except the other way around. And so, um, uh, of course, I w- was honored to and happy to do that. And, um, and then I was like, well, you know what? why don't we do uh like a why don't we do something for each other where i do that and then you write a, an original essay about walking and about this book uh for my book because that would be so cool because you know he is an inspiration to me in in terms of the walking even though that not that wasn't why i started walking but it certainly was in the back of my mind as i was walking and uh, i love his writing he's one of my favorite writers so i figured that would be uh a perfect pairing in in my book as well so that's how that kind of came about and he did an amazing job and i'm very honored to have his words in my book yeah i'm i'm looking forward to reading it because he always will you know he doesn't repeat himself he's always kind of forward moving so anything he puts out is like it's going to probably capture where his philosophy is now and like what for him you know the big thing is walking is the platform and we kind of goes back to what we were saying of like you know, setting the parameters and like, this is the walk. And he's like, certainly way deep into this. And I've been reading, you know, reading his, his stuff for years. I think we take a little bit of a different approach because he does these huge multi walks and I'm like the day ritual, right? Like my thing right. is all in the day walk and you know, he, he has a massive plan. But the thing with Craig is um, just that impressive creative stack. It's like, he's a programmer, he's a designer, he's a writer, he's a photographer. He's, you know, he's a bookmaker. He's like, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of a, a visionary business person too. And I, I tell people this, I was like, listen, I know he's an inspiration, but like you're looking at like a supernatural creative stack. You're <laughs> like putting that stuff together is kind of like, you know, a very rare thing. So I think, he, yeah, I, I mean, it's um, just always kind of interesting how he also has, um, you know, this network, the rhizome of, of a lot of these creative projects. So definitely looking forward to that. So just kind of like as we get to the end here. Where are we now with the book? I know you did a pre pre um, pre sale on it, and you did kind of the crowdfunding, or I would say it's more pre sale than than cre- than crowdfunding. But you know, there's yeah. different tiers people could buy um, and those sort of things, and um, I think that's people are might be interested in that. But, but so where are we at right now? The, uh, you did all of that. Book's coming out. Where, what stage are we in right now? Now we're in the stage where we have a book in hand. Um, there is one amazing bookstore in Amsterdam that already has it. They're the first one because they're down the street from me and I love them. And so they got it first, but, um, now we, now we get sent off to the distributor in the United States. Uh, we, we send it to different stores in Europe and all the people who pre-ordered, uh, are being sent the book, uh, this week. Uh, it's actually started on last Friday already. Um, but, uh, it's kind of a big project cause we're really 
were controlling the entire process from start to finish. So we were deeply involved in the printing. Uh, we were deeply involved in the lithography. Everything was super hands-on, which takes a lot of time and effort, but it's part of my like desire to learn like every element of bookmaking. So it has been super interesting and super cool, but we're even taking on like the whole um, relationship with the distributor, relationship with the fulfillment house and all that kind of stuff. So today, most of my day was actually being on the phone with our fulfillment partner to figure out like customs forms and like how all that kind of stuff works, which is something that most people wouldn't be interested in. And I, I'm not going to say it is my favorite part either, but, but it is important for me to understand it because I want to um, do this much more often. And not only with my books, you know, Dan and I enjoyed the process of making this book so much and our collaboration so much that we, we actually started a, a publishing company of which this is the first book. And it's kind of a showcase of what we what we believe makes a great book. And I'm not even talking about my own photos. I'm just talking about the whole process around it, the way we were committed to all the details, like specifically, like this is the paper that fits these kinds of images best. This is the kind of uh, linen that we want to use. This is a special kind of binding or even the, the color of the thread of the binding. Like we've gone deep into this. And so we're doing the same thing with all the quote unquote boring business parts. Um, and that's what we're focused on right now. And so right now I'm focused on, um, finding, uh, finding some folks in the world of press to, uh, talk about this story and, uh, the distribution of it all and the shipping of it all. So this guy kind of plays into the PR part, <laughs> the marketing part, but, uh, no, uh, I think it, uh, yeah, I think it's amazing. Congratulations on, you know, um, starting the public. I mean, that's going to be fun difficult challenging but i think it's again like you jump in and you kind of learn and you understand and i think it's going to be very successful for you guys um you know as this with this as a foundation and um i just hope everyone you should uh subscribe to um your weekly newsletter it's about photography and finding your voice and it's called process um it's great a lot of you know you really you you, you share everything you don't really can hide any secrets right like so you put it all there for people to learn so i want everyone to go and subscribe to that newsletter and you know i, I hope this again this is the first dialogue and i hope like we can uh circle back as you know as they say um you know in a few months six months now and see kind of like you know, what's the back end of this story? What happens after the book comes out? What happens, you know, when you get the great buzz and people say, hey, you're, you know, this is the next big thing and you're going to be on all the lists. So I, I, I'm interested in what happens, <laughs> you know, uh, on the back end of this. Maybe you got to feature yourself on, on you know, <laughs> the observers. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? The, yeah. Well, I honestly, not to sound cliche, but like what we're really passionate about is like the, the we call the publishing company New Style because we're, we feel like a lot of stuff is broken in the book publishing world, especially art books. Mm -hmm. And we're much more interested in developing those real human relationships with people who love photo books and not so much about being on the, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say no if the New York Times wants, me, wants to put me on a list, but we're not focused on that, you know. We're focused on like finding interesting people who love the craft and like love having this in their hands and love learning about it, whether they want to make their own book or not, this is, that's another question, but yeah, we're really like kind of trying to reinvent that whole relationship with the reader and make it a more like trusted, comfortable, interest peaking, you know, experience and not just a transaction basically, because if I wanted to do that, we could have done this a lot cheaper. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I think there's always, we're in an age of like the new models and trying new things. I'm not, we're not going to talk about NFTs. I'm sorry. That'll be maybe on the back end. <laughs> the, the next, the next time we uh, have the conversation because I think it's a whole other universe, but I, I'm, I got my copy on the way. So I'm really, uh, I'll hopefully get some uh, pictures up there and share them around and, and kind of like uh, look and dive into these things. But I really uh, appreciate the conversation, sharing your wisdom, sharing your story. And like I said, I hope we can uh, come back to this in six months. I'm not, I'm well, not going to hold you to, I'm not going to hold you to that. I, I'm saying no. yes right now. I'm saying yes <laughs> right now. And it was yeah. really, really pleasure to talk to you because I really love uh, your, uh, your newsletter and your work in general. And so it was, uh, it's an honor to be included. 
Yes, thank you so much. Um, like I said, I hope everyone out there, if you have any questions, um, I'm sure you know, Wes would love to hear them. Um, like I said, the best way I think is going to connect to him on his newsletter. Um, you can drop me a line as well too at info at brianformals.com. Um, and I really, you know, I think you can learn a lot from from just his, this entire process about the mindfulness, the walking, um, taking creative risks. You know, there's just a lot that if you're a photographer and artist, I think you um, there's a lot of lessons here that you should take away from and you can really kind of learn about for your own practice to to push you, um, you know, to really, again, take I think that mindful approach is, is so important to taking to the next level. So, again, thank you so much, Wesley. It was a pleasure. Thank you.